Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Multiple studio shows in a row? I know, right? I got a confession to make. You guys know I usually prepare all this stuff way ahead of time, right? Well, not way ahead of time, but actually, I'm probably pulling back the curtain too much. Now, you guys are all probably thinking, wait, I thought he made this shit up. The guy is so fragmented in his vocal stylings that he has to just be going off the cuff. No, I'm not. You guys, welcome to the Pack Filler Podcast. I don't have anything this show that brings you the things like that because you know what? I realized I had a great interview in the tank and I needed to get it out there. I'm Pat Bulger. Welcome to the Pack Filler Podcast. I'm in, in, in technically, I'm, I'm in a new studio again. I shit you not, you guys. I am technically in a new studio again. My wife and I actually got our butts together and we redid certain rooms of our house. And now, of course, whenever whenever any kind of a remodel happens, I usually just assume that, that everything in my life is going down to the basement and that... In, in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to have to find storage for stuff that I never knew we really needed and that, you know, I'm going to have to just work around it. That is that is my lot in life. That is where the way I figured everything was out. There was many years ago that I just assumed that downstairs was always going to be my workout space, you know, down in the basement and it's cold this time of year. And, uh, you know, I could have my little man cave down there and I could set up things to work out and over the years, I, I don't know if it's age or what, but I, you guys, I get to be upstairs where it's heated now. And now I'm in this own little separate room with the studio and there's a gigantic TV above my head and I'm almost giving like thieves a reason to come and rob my house, but it's, I have a space, you guys. And the other room, it's a workout room. 
That was my headphones hitting the microphone. I'm so... I don't know what to say, you guys. <sighs> hey, thank you guys for your feedback on the most recent episode of the podcast and your feedback on the live shows. Things seem to be going pretty well. We're trying to get them in the can, and i got to thank my good friend Paul Main for helping me try to put these things together on a, on a consistent basis. I don't know. Maybe I'm just this diva that needs to be in my trailer until it's time to be called out, but we'll see what happens there. This episode, you guys... This episode, I'm going to go straight to the interview because, uh, well, because my father told me the other day that he actually fast-forwarded past the intro. <laughs> my father told me he doesn't listen to my life's beginnings. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, I figured if, if he can't tolerate my ramblings, God knows you guys can't, and I'm already three minutes and 30 seconds into this bad boy. Well, I'm not. I, I guess I left a little buffer at him. So, you guys, I got a chance to talk to Chris Carmichael recently. Chris, um, I've been, uh, I've kind of been stalking Chris for a while, trying to, you know, offer, uh, trying to get him on the show. And Chris was kind enough to say, "Hey, you know, I understand what you, you know, what you're doing, and um, I, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about your show, and if you have any samples of the things you've." you've done in the past, that would be a great help. And so I sent Chris a couple episodes. And the great thing was, is fortunately, the episodes I sent him were were, were people Chris rode with, people Chris looked up to. And uh, fortunately, I, I must have done something right. It must have been the Soylent Green and the message that, that Chris was willing to come onto the show. And we had a really great discussion just a couple days ago. And so um, I'm, I'm definitely going to go to that. And uh, before I get to it, though, I do want to say to all of our friends who were kind enough to come out to the live show last weekend, unfortunately, we had a, a double booking at the pub we were at, and we had to reschedule that show. Thank you guys for coming out and having a beer and just hanging out with us. And we promised to get that show rescheduled immediately. So our friends at River City Red, uh, River City Brewing have been kind enough to say, hey, whatever you guys need, we're going to make it happen again. So there we go. Without further ado, you guys, let's get to Chris Carmichael on the Pack Filler Podcast. All right, everybody, today's guest has done and continues to do all in the sport of cycling. He's a member of the American team, in the, uh, first American team, sorry, to ride in the Tour de France, uh, was a member of the 1984 Olympic team. He's USA Cycling Coach of the Year on multiple occasions an inductee into the U.S. Bicycling Hall of Fame, just to name a few. He's also, by the way, the CEO and founder of a little company we like to call Carmichael Training Systems. Let's welcome to the, welcome to the show, Chris Carmichael. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Pat. Great, thanks. Hey, you know, um, my listeners probably know all this by heart now, but I, this is one thing they know is coming. I like to start interviews with a little perspective and getting an idea of how everybody kind of came into this sport. Um, how was your cycling career i guess we could say or how did you find cycling well um i started uh bike racing in 1969 and i was nine years old at the time and i was i was just really i i enjoyed cycling was was freedom you know i mean yeah. I, I would i grew up in south florida and, um, I was really fortunate because, um, in, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, their, their cycling bike racing was not very well developed in this yeah. country. Um, and, um, in, in Miami, um, 
it was there was real a really strong racing scene. It was primarily driven uh, because of the Cuban population there, mm-hmm. and they really enjoyed cycling. And um, there would be thirty to forty kids in the age group of ten to twelve racing, and wow. we would have uh, training rides every Tuesday and Thursday um, that would leave. Um, with a with a coach that would follow behind in a car, and uh, there'd be twenty or thirty of us out there, and we'd ride out to keep his cane and back, and and I just I I fell in love with it. I got third place in the, my first race. And I got a trophy, <laughs> and that, I remember that trophy. That was really what cemented everything. It was like wow, you know, that that was just awesome. And so at that that point on, I I was kind of a uh, I was a lifer. I knew I was, I was going to be in cycling the rest of my life. How did you go from a nine-year-old getting this, you know, third place it was in a trophy to um, what many would say at the time was the, the best team in the U.S.? Um, you end up riding with 7-Eleven. Well, I, I uh, progressed up through the, the, the ranks and uh, went to national championships for – intermediate and juniors and, and, uh, made the junior world team. Um, and on that team was Greg Lamont was on that team. Uh, Ron Kiefel, um, you know, other cyclists that have, have have at that, uh, like Jeff Bradley and Greg Demgen that were really strong cyclists in the eighties. And, uh, was recruited to the national team and we'd go over and race in, you know, in Europe and South America and in Central America. And, um, you know, I just, uh, had some results that, uh, I was asked to join the team. We had, uh, I had won, I think the Morgul Bismarck stage in the course classic. And, um, I was asked at that, at that point, to join the seven eleven team and um they wanted to go to Europe and start racing. That was eventually the, that was the goal of the team. And I was fortunate and it was the best team at the time and, and so I uh you know that that's how it happened. Well and I, I'm in Spokane, Washington where you were you guys were here for the eighty four and the eight well not eighty eight, you weren't in eighty eight, but eighty four Olympic trials and to have put together uh an incredible Olympic team for eighty four um, and you were a part of that team, and then to go from that the amateur level, so to speak, in 1984 to just two years later lining up at the tour, that had to have been an amazing. And was it even a nerve wracking experience to to go from okay, you know, we just we're crushing at the amateurs, now we're lining up at the best race in the world? Yeah, we we <laughs> had no idea what we were doing. We were <laughs> we were pretty much the the bad news bears out there, and. Uh, we just, uh, when I look back on it now, I, I don't know how we got the results that we did, you know, and Whoa. we were just fortunate. I remember we, well, first of all, let me, let me say that the, the, you're in Spokane and I remember the, the trials in Spokane and those were hard courses. <laughs> I remember there was something like the seven Hills. Is that right? That's seven exactly hills? right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, that was some, that was some tough racing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, is it, is it still 
good riding out there. I remember it was great riding at that uh, point. You know, I haven't been there since since then. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's unfortunately uh, it's snowing right now, so you know we're not going to okay. get out very much. But it's still it's still that you know the course is still as it was. I think the day you guys left. Oh wow, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, but you know, it started. We went to Europe in the spring, and um, I think February. And this was 85 and we were going to do some kind of races, uh, like the, the tour of the Mediterranean, which was like a, a four or five day race. And, and some of these other kind of one day races on the, uh, the French Riviera down there. And, and, uh, it was, um, uh, and so we did, we had some okay results. I remember, uh, there was a stage in, um, the, the tour of the med and it finished up this, this climb called, uh, Mount Ferron. And we kind of led Ron Kiefel out for that. And cause he was really good on these sort of short three or four K climbs. And, um, he got second on, on that stage. And that was sort of like, Whoa, who are these guys? And yeah. so that was, that was kind of interesting. And then we we went to the opening race on the Italian calendar, calendar called Trofe Liguelia. Yeah. And uh, one day race, 180K or something. And like a lot of, you know, a lot of races in Italy, it, it finishes up and the, the village is always on top of a mountain, it seems, or not a mountain, so much a, a climb, big, big hill. And uh, we, I remember the night before we were looking at it and we're like, look, we'll, um, we'll, you know, start with 10 K before this climb, we'll all line it up and start drilling it. And then we'll take Wookie and drop him, you know, two or three K from the, from the finish. And he'll take off and win because nobody, that's how we always did it here in the States. And everybody <laughs> had, had, uh, nicknames. Wookie was yeah, Ron yeah. Kefal and Davis was, uh, Davis Finney was, uh, Thor and and we all had <laughs> nicknames. I don't know why. It's just it's just what we did. And and uh, sure enough, 10k before um, before the, the climb to the finish. Ron Heyman, this Canadian guy who was really strong, went by and he was on our team. And and, and uh, Davis jumped on and he said, "Get on." And and then a, a, uh, a couple of others uh, on the team. We just lined it up and started drilling it. Team time of trialing it with with Wookie at the, you know, at the tail end. And, uh, we dropped him with about three K to go and he took off and he won. And it was like, you know, I, I think people couldn't believe was like, who are these guys? Nobody, nobody could, I mean, and all the other teams had, 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 you know, 15 or 20 and we had like six Wow. and, um, and he won and, uh, Deloglio, who owns the, the company Hoonved, called uh, Jim Ockwitz and said that he wanted to sponsor the team and put him in the Tour of Italy. <laughs> and so that, that sort of, that kicked everything off. And we went to the Tour of Italy that year in 85. And um, Andy Hampson won a stage. Ron got second in a stage. Um and you kind of look at those results and yeah. it's like, wow, that's pretty good for, for any team really. And, and, uh, especially for a team that really didn't know what we were doing at all. 
That is by any means. that is unbelievable. First of all, not to sound like a gushing fanboy, but I actually, as a as a younger kid, had a picture of that win from Ron on my wall in my bedroom. Not not to sound like a stalker, but I I shit you not, I had that picture. I remember seeing that when you guys went over there, and, and I went, oh god, this is awesome, and I cut that out. So I had to throw that in. But yeah, if you see, if you remember, he had a look on his face like, oh my god, uh, you know, like you couldn't <laughs> believe he was winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. so that tour in particular, to start with Alex Tita earning yellow on stage two, if I'm correct, and losing it the same day in the TT. The team time trial, and then Davis taking a stage uh, the, a day later. Uh, w- talk about the ups and downs of that tour and what that roller coaster experience had to have been like. It was pretty crazy. I mean, <laughs> um, I it it there was the prologue, and then the first stage. It started on the outskirts of Paris, and you know, uh, some suburb out there, and and uh, and it was a big kind of loop that uh, was mainly in the city and, and, uh, it's about 120 K if I remember right. And we were all lined up and, and kind of towards the, the back of the, the group and, and they started and everybody was chit chatting. They started a little slow and, and, um, I remember Alex was with us and he, was wearing a skin suit and we were all so embarrassed <laughs> by him wearing a skin suit. And he's like, what? It's like a big crit, you know? And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and like now sky thinks it's all oh, original yeah. that they wear skin suits, you know, but Alex jumped <laughs> in there with the skin suit. And, um, so we took off and there was this median and we looked on the right and there was Alex attacking on the other side of the median up the road and the whole Peloton kind of looked over at him, and you could see them trying to like add it up. Like, is he actually part of this race? Is he in, <laughs> you know, is he, you know, like, but he's got a number and yeah. he's taken off and everybody's sort of like just confused. <laughs> and, and he took off and he stayed away for like, Oh, about 60, 70 K and by himself. And he was getting all these, at that point, they would have time bonuses, yeah. time bonus sprints, hotspot sprints on the on the road, and they were like three, two, one, and he captured like four of these, four or five, and then uh, there were some little um, like cat four uh, climbs, yeah. and he was getting all those too, and then a break finally went, and they caught him, and he finished like a minute up. Uh, and finished last in the break of like four or five. Uh, but I remember when we came across in the Peloton, he was on the podium. And I remember Davis <laughs> like pointing up and he's got the yellow jersey on. We're like, what the <laughs> hell? You know, <laughs> he not only captured the yellow jersey, he got the, he got the climbers jersey. He got the uh, points jersey, the, the green oh jersey. God. He got the uh, best young rider jersey. He got the, the uh, combination jersey, which is the, oh, yeah. the yeah. Ev- all the different jerseys added up, and so he had every jersey in the race, and um, you know, and he was up there on the podium. We were all went back and cleaned up, and and we had a double day. Oh yeah, at that time they used to ha- they would have 
two stages in one day. They don't do that anymore in the tour. And um, we had a team time trial in the afternoon. And Alex came in like when I when we were getting ready to get going for the team time trial because he was, you know, up on the podium doing interviews, kissing babies, and that, you know <laughs> nobody could believe the whole thing. And he came in and um, you know we we had to get going, and it was like a seventy uh, k team time trial, which is a pretty long team time trial. Yeah. I mean, there were I think there were ten of us at that at in the tour back then. The, the the team size was 10 and um and early on he started missing pulls and we just thought he was tired and from from earlier in the day and um justifiably then he sitting so. on yeah justifiably yeah. of course and and then he started sitting on but really what happened was he didn't eat and oh. he started to bonk and um and there's nothing you can do in, in a time trial because you can't get a hand up from the car or anything. And then as we're out there, this water bottle goes flying by my head and hits Alexi Graywall in the back. And, and Doug Shapiro, a, a teammate, um, starts yelling at him. And there's like this argument and fight between the two of them. And it's all on TV. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then we go through uh, this corner, and four of us crash, and and uh, and then Alex can can barely follow a wheel, and he starts coming off, and and uh, Jeff Pierce, um, uh, the the director, told myself and and Jeff to wait for Alex and get him in, and we made the time cut by thirty eight seconds that day, oh or God. else we would have been going home. <laughs> oh my God. So, <laughs> it's pretty amazing, you know, <laughs> and, but, you know, two days later, Davis jumps in this break and is in this break and, and, um, out sprints this guy, Bill Dundee, who was, a uh, a, um, Swiss had a good, he was kind of a pursuiter, won the world pursuit title a few times, had a good sprint. Davis beat him. But Davis thought this French guy was away. And so he didn't throw up his arms. He thought he got second. <laughs> and and he goes over and, and John Wilcox and great, Davis, you, you won. And Davis is like, no, the French guy, he was away. No, he had a mechanical. He went by him a long time. So, you know, <laughs> and in the first three days, we had the yellow jersey and we won a stage. So not a bad tour. What was it like coming back from that tour um, to, you know, to have this, this groundbreaking experience? I mean, I remember at the time, the most of the, the information we got back was through Velo News, was through Winning Magazine, or was through, you know, when John Tesh's goofy coverage on the, every, like, we, you know, every second weekend or something like that in the tour. But, and, and because pro cycling, we didn't get a whole lot of feedback that way. I can only imagine what, what it was like when you guys got back to the States. Well, it was, I mean, not many people knew about the Tour de France in, in the U.S. And so, um, not, it, and it was pretty much a European sport then. Now it's much more global. Yeah. And, and um, so when we got back within cycling, in, in American cycling, we were well received, but nobody, you know, else in, in, in the U S really knew anything about it. And, uh, that's just the way it was back then. And, and, um, 
you know, we were plotting where to go next and, and the next races we went back over for like the, uh, well, actually the world championships were in, in Colorado Springs that year in 86. And, uh, but went back over for like fall classics, like, uh, into yeah. the year there was Perry Brussels and, and, uh, Giro de la Bardia and, and other, other events like that. So I refer to the psych, cycling in the 80s probably quite biased as, as kind of a perfect storm with the Olympics, with, with 7-Eleven, with Greg LeMond's winning the, uh, the tour. Um, enthusiasm as well as participation really exploded right after that. Um, and, and personally, I've, I've talked to some people in this show and kind of tried to survey what's going on with the state of road racing right now in the U.S., um, what's your opinion on what's going on with with road racing cycling in the U.S. and it, do we how how can we get that magic back? I guess. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, there's so many uh, other forms of racing now. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, when I grew up racing, you were either a road racer or you were a track racer, and and if you if you rode the road, you also rode the track. If you had the you know, if there was a velodrome, um, in any close proximity, but, you know, now there's, you know, there's gravel racing, there's fat bikes, there's, you know, obviously mountain biking, there's, there's, you know, so many different, uh, cyclocross, there's, there's so many different types of racing. Road racing is really just, is dying, you know, I mean, and when I say road racing, I'll, I'll we'll put that uh, criterion in that bucket as well. Yeah. And it's really going the other way. And, and, um, I think, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's hard. You just don't jump in a criterion and, you know, have a great experience the first time you do one. I mean, (laughs) if it's, you get shot off the back pretty quick or, you know, there's a crash or it's just, you you need to uh, develop a, a skill set before you jump into it that allows you to survive, ride within a, a, a you know close, tight knit group of, of cyclists. Whereas you can jump in a mountain bike event, or you can jump in a cyclocross event, or you can jump in some of these you know a, a fat tire yeah. event and or gravel event and be be fine because it's really more participatory versus. Yeah. You know, you know, once you get shot off the back in a crit and you ride by yourself or something, it's not a lot of fun. Oh, no, you're you're uh, 10 minutes away from a USA official taking you out of the race, too. There's going to be an official, you're about to get lapped and they pull you out of the race. And I just spent money for this. Why would I want to do it again? Exactly. And, you know, so you you have to develop the enough of a skill set that you can actually, you know, sit within in within the Peloton and not not get dropped just as you know, just because you, you're, you, you can't follow a wheel. Um, so, and that is, is dropping away too, because I remember when I was a kid, it was like paramount. You learned how to, how to draft, you learned how to ride in a pace line. And, and, um, you know, it's not very inclusive. Most group rides, they, you know, they tend to kind of, if you're a newbie that's jumping in, they immediately kind of push you to the back and, yeah. and they're not, you know, there's not a lot of people out there giving you good tips and on how to do it. Um, the other thing is, is for race directors, you know, if you're going to put on a criterium or, um, 
a uh, road race, you're going to lose money. You yeah. know, by and large, yeah. it's going to be pretty hard to make it a a viable uh, event economically. Whereas you can put on a Grand Fundo, or you can put on a lot of other events, and you're going to probably get more participation, and it's going to be you're not going to have the same costs. So there's a lot of challenges to it, and it's really it's really sad to see. Um, you know, I, I, I think before I say that it's, it's, it's dying, I think that there's, you know, with the, with the growth of gravel, yeah. with the growth of other forms of cycling, you know, that's good. And that's just the reality is on the road. It's, you know, people are scared to ride on the road and I understand distracted drivers. Most people want to ride, you know, the mountain bike or yeah. gravel and, and, uh, um, and I understand it. And so it, but it is challenging for, for road racing right now in, in the U S where do you see it going? Do you think, uh, there's going to be, are we just at the one end of the pendulum swing and we're going to swing back the other direction or is the sport evolving into something completely different? I think it's evolving. I, yeah. I, I think, I think road will, you know, it, it's, it's the basis of all cycling, you know, it really is. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, and it, it, it's something that you can't do away with. I mean, there's nothing more iconic than going out and doing a great ride in the mountains, you know, and yeah. it's just beautiful or, or, you know, doing a, you know, a, a long century ride, you cover so much ground and, you know, you, you go through all the diversity of it. it and it's, it's not going to, it's not going to, that is never going to change that, that that's there. And it's just too, too compelling that you're not going to have people that are going to want to participate in it. But, um, the racing side of it is, is evolving. And I think it's, it's, it's with the advent of gravel, it's, um, it's going to be easier to put on a gravel race and you'll probably start to see that change and 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 how people will go from gravel to road and i think road will swing back and it'll start to get a little more fashionable um and i we need a hero too you know american cycling needs uh a hero because sport is always driven by personalities you know and when you have that personality um that you that americans can relate to you know they they'll they'll start to flock to back to it well yeah so at, at what point in your career did you decide to go from athlete to coach? Obviously, upon your retirement, there was something that was going on. And, and did was it a logical move? Did you train yourself during your career? Or was there something that kind of an aha moment that made it made that switch? Well, it was uh, kind of dumb luck again. I, um, I broke my femur really bad and... Um, after the tour in 86 in a, in a skiing accident. And I, I basically struggled after that. I, I continued to race um, three or four more years. And eventually my contract wasn't renewed. I kept having to have more surgery each off season and it wasn't renewed. I was 30 years old and I was wondering, what do I do next? And, yeah. and um, I remember talking to my dad and he's like, um, you know, he was encouraged me to, to, to stay in cycling. That's what I wanted to do. 
I got a call from Yuri Manus, who was the coaching director for the U.S. cycling team at, at the time. And he said, hey, uh, you know, would, would I be interested to come and work some development camps at the Olympic Training Center? I was talking to my dad and he said, you know, you got a Ph.D. in this bike racing <laughs> business and, you know, going to work and for this much larger organization you're not sure where it's going to lead you, but I, I think it's a good, it's a good starting point for you. And so I went out there and I started working these development camps and I felt like I had an aptitude for, for it. I, I felt like I could, um, articulate to the athletes, you know, what, what they needed at the time. And there was this gap in American cycling, um, where this was, uh, 1990 and, was Eddie B was kind of through the eighties yeah. and, um, he had stepped away and, and, you know, the, the, the coaches in U S cycling at the time, they really didn't have much of a background in racing. And, um, you know, there was this guy, I remember this one guy who was, um, they had just gotten rid of and before they brought in Yuri and, and he had no racing experience, you know, and, and, um, most of the people on the national team, the athletes on the national team really felt like there was just this, you know, there, there, there wasn't the, uh, the leadership within okay. the coaching ranks. Cause they, they, they didn't, they, they didn't really, the, the coaches didn't have the credibility either as the science background or the, um, the, the practical racing background. And so, I came in from, you know, having spent my life bike racing, basically through the national team, doing all the, you know, uh, internationally hardest amateur races and pro. And, and so immediately I was really well received by the athletes. And so, and and the other thing that I saw was this huge talent, you know, I mean, there's guys like George Hincapie and Bobby Julek, Lance Armstrong, obviously. And, and, uh, it was like, and these guys were all, you know, 17, 18, 19. And it was like, my gosh, these guys are really good. And, um, you know, and I, I just, I fell in love with it. And I, I, I think I was a better coach than I was an athlete. And at least I like to think. And, and, uh, <laughs> um, so it just, you know, one thing led to another and I worked my way up to eventually the national coach to the coaching director. And then to move into, I guess we could call the private sector, uh, Carmichael Training Systems, arguably uh, one of the you know, most well-known coaching organizations in the country. And what led to the formation of that? And what was it about it that made it different, that made it so successful? Well, um... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I left the U.S. cycling team in 1997, 97, 98. Okay. End of, end of 97, it was after. Um, and I was, I was kind of just, um, the whole Olympic movement, I, I, it was after the 96 Olympic games, it yeah. was, it, I just, it left a, a really kind of sour taste in my mouth. And, um, I got asked to work, um, for some cycling companies doing some, you know, some work with them, consulting with them. Um, and, uh, I had in this, in my mind that there, you know, the only coaches that were in cycling that made a living were national team coaches, but there were obviously a lot more cyclists than just national team cyclists. It was like, you know, yeah. if there's a way to distribute how to actually train and how to prepare and, and, and how you could, um, you know, improve your cycling, um, there's, there's a market for it. And, um, at least I thought there was. Yeah. And, um, so I started kind of building out, sketching out of my mind what this was going to be. The internet was just kind of getting going. This was, you know, 90, 98, yeah. 99, you know, dot coms are starting to take off and the ability to transfer data. Um, you could, you could start sending heart rate data, polar data, yeah. via the internet before we'd fax it, you know, and it was just crazy <laughs> and, and how you could, you know, send emails with training programs. And so it was this combination of this perfect storm where I sort of had this first mover position. Um, there weren't other coaches out there, um, uh, except other national team coaches making a living. Um, I had a, uh, a strong coaching resume coming from the, us cycling team, the internet was just going. So I had this delivery system that was just starting, you know, red hot. I had been working with Lance Armstrong. He had won his first, uh, tour de France. That obviously was a good thing. Um, so that really was the springboard for CTS. And, uh, it's really very, very fortunate. So did you ever imagine it growing into such a large machine as you, as it is now? No, I never, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like if I could, you know, uh, but I knew I brought on coaches and I, I, it was, I wanted, the goal was to make it not about me. The goal was to make it about, you know, this was the place to come to get, you know, to get aligned with a, a, a good coach. And um, so I knew I had to bring on, coaches. Um, and we did that. I did that right away. I, I had two coaches, then, then two became four, then became six. And, um, because I, I felt that that was the way I could build something sustainable. If it was about me, 
and, and, you know, all the athletes were, were only there for me to coach it, you know, you know, what if I got, you know, I, 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 I couldn't coach anymore. Yeah. You know, how was I going to earn a living? So it was always about building out the, um, my coaching stable at, at CTS. And I knew that was, was paramount. So then one thing led to another, you know, we had to have an, an a, uh, in-house coaching education program. We kept upping our game from a delivery standpoint. We kept upping our game from, you know, from customer service. We have a dedicated customer service group. So, um, and we continue to go back, you know, all the time and just say, look, you know, there's, there's, obviously infinitely much more competition out there, but it's like, how do we stay ahead? You know, how do we continue to lead? And, um, and so we're, we're always doing that, you know, and, but, but basically it's the same core, you know, it comes to training camps and coaching and, um, you know, and, and we just, it comes down to making sure that we're educating our coaches. We've got the best coaches that they're coaching, you know, that's the other thing is all our coaches coach a lot of athletes. Yeah. And I like to say you're really not a coach unless you're coaching. And, you know, each coach has 30 or 40 athletes. So at, at you know, throughout throughout the year. And so their experience is great. You know, it's it's vast. It's of coaching a handful. Um, they're coaching, you know, a lot and they're running labs and they're running training camps and there's, they're, you know, doing special projects. And we not only work with cyclists, we work with triathletes, we work with ultra runners, we work with NASCAR drivers, IndyCar, NHL, uh, a lot. Um, so that diversity, I think helps us a lot as well because we get really, um, a lot of experience in handling different situations. Is there a typical CTS client? When I put typical, I'm putting that in quotations. Like, is there, a, what is your, you know, I guess, what is your, your client base consist of? Um, yes. Uh, our, um, 60% are cyclists, uh, 20% are triathletes and, 20% are ultra runners, I oh, would say. Okay. And then there's a mishmash of, of, um, you know, uh, gosh, everything, rock climbers, uh, uh, snowshoe, you know, I mean, all kinds of things, NASCAR, all sorts of things, but within cycling, uh, over 40, um, have, a, has a career family, yeah. 40 to 60 is our sweet spot. Okay. And, they, they were typically a cyclist earlier and they're getting back into it or they were just kind of getting into it and they were, um, you know, an athlete in, in college and they, they want guidance, you know, and they're, they're, they're professionals. They're used to paying for professional services. And so they have, um, six to eight hours a week to train. And that's kind of the the extent of it. And so they, they just want to go out and execute. Okay. Now uh, there is something I do want to ask you about the time crunch cyclist, because that is something that is, I've got the book and all this kind of stuff. But what, before I get to that, what areas of preparation in your opinion are most neglected for the regulars in the regular cyclist training schedule, I guess we could say, what are we all doing wrong? Uh, you know, the, the big problem, well, there's two things is, is, uh, first, not enough recovery between 
hard bouts of, of, of riding is typically, um, an athlete will just, you know, if they've got most, most cyclists, you know, who are over 40, they always overestimate their amount of time that they have to train. But if you really break it down, it's usually about eight, maybe 10 hours. They may get a 12 hour week, you know, and a few of those in the summer, but it's usually eight hours is, is eight to 10, um, sometimes down to six. Um, and then when they, when they, when they ride, it's just flat out, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of group rides and they don't give them themselves recovery between any hard workouts. So they end up just basically in a sense, overtraining on that short amount of, yeah. of, of, of training, you know, and, and, and usually it's like, they'll do a hard workout. Then for some reason they can do, you know, they can do a group ride the next day and that group rides flat out and they do it instead of taking an easy day. And then, you know, they, they might not ride for two days, but then the next ride that they do is flat out. You know, the other, other problem that they do is all rides are the same, you know, is either they're, they're as hard as they can go on a group ride yeah. until uh, they get dropped or something or it's just kind of mirandering along, you know, and it's, it's, you're much better doing really intense interval training and then recovering from it and giving yourself, because it's during the recovery time that your body adapts and your body adapts. And, and what that means is you grow stronger and faster uh, during that a- adaptation. And what we do in the time crunch program, we looked at it and, we looked at how we were training most of our athletes and most had this kind of six to 10 hour window to train. And, you know, the idea of doing base miles, um, for an athlete that has only eight hours a week to train, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, going out and riding two hours easy, um, as your, as your so-called long ride, um, you're already adapted to that, you know, that there's no training stress. So you throw out volume, you focus on the, the, the training load. Cause there's basically two training loads, you know, volume and intensity. Yeah. Well, for a time crunch cyclist, you throw out volume cause you're really not going to get it. So the training stress is intensity or training load is intensity. And we focus on two main, um, uh, demands, uh, for, for cycling. One is your VO two system. That's the rate in which we, you deliver oxygen to your muscles. Those are very short, intense intervals, two to three minutes is kind of as hard as you can go. Um, and, uh, that improves the VO two system. Then the other that we focus on is, is power at lactate threshold. And those are longer, not quite the same intensity, but you know, 10 to 20 minutes in length, repeat those efforts and, uh, and then give yourself ample time after these interval uh, days to recover before you start the training again. So you're nice and fresh. So the training load can be at its maximal. And, you know, the, the, the program really works well for people who are in that time, you know, band of about six to, to 10 hours a week to train. Now you're limited. If you're going to be doing some long events, um, you're going to be deficient in, in endurance and it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but you need to build that in as well. A lot of times cyclists will find time, you know, where you can build in some endurance blocks as well. 
Yeah, it's for so for example, a couple of years ago, I did the I did Leadville, and um, I had I had always I, my copy of the Time Crunch Cyclist is ancient, but yeah, you know it's still the same material and things like that. But although, um, but in order to do something like that, yeah, you had to find a couple of days a week to throw in those those longer sets in there. Exactly, exactly. Especially if you can get them in blocks, you know, yeah. where you can you can go. Okay, you know. I'm um, uh, I'm going to be able to get this this weekend. I, I don't have the demands up, upon my time. I can do a four and a and a, and a yeah. five hour ride, and you can do that, and you give yourself time to recover from that. Um, or you're going to go on a little vacation, and you're going to be able to squeeze in some good good hours on the bike, and and so um, you know that that always helps. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, to, well, actually, can that program, in in your opinion, replace that that what we'd call the regular approach to fitness? I remember in the in the book it talks about you've got to build this maybe a three month time period, and then you've got to have a period of extended recovery before you start to build that again. You do. It's not going to replace, you know, the the, the periodization structure of yeah. cycling. If you're a lead cyclist, you still need to put in a lot of you know, base miles, you know, kind of that foundation and where you're doing, you know, 25, 30, 35 hours on the bike. If you're a lead cyclist, you, that, that's all part of it, you know, but, um, for the vast majority of people that are, are athletes, um, that are coming in, they're not, you know, and, and, uh, so, um, you know, we, uh, uh, we focus on intensity as the main training load. Um, and what I think it does is, is you also have to build in the community of cycling, you know, cause a lot of people want to be able to do group rides. They want to be able to do rides with yeah. their buddies and things like that. So you've got to build that in too, and you've got to be able to structure it such that it it's, it's a benefit as well, because if you, we're not robots and you can't just go, Hey, remove from the group rides or remove from doing rides with your buddies. And it's just, it, and it's just really trying to, uh, what the athlete establishes their goals. Hey, I really want to, I want to go to Leadville. I want to do, you know, this grand fundo. Yeah. I want to do this, this event. And, and it's, it's kind of, uh, going backwards from there and building in the training, um, to lead you to that. You've also written extensively about diet. Uh, what makes diet so important? And, and oh God, I hate to ask this, but what am I likely doing wrong? Please don't say anything about beer. <laughs> well, you know, um, after a while, um, well, let me let me back up. Cycling is a small person sport. It just is. You know, I mean, if if you're going to go up any, if you've got any hills, you know. <laughs> gravity is our is our biggest resistance you yeah. know and if you can increase your power to weight your chance of improving um you know having a better performance goes up dramatically so um and if you look at the average when i was a pro i weighed 138 pounds you know oh, now i'm 175 180 times you know and it's like i can't imagine like i i, I see these you know, these jerseys that I would fit in and it looks like it should be for my 12 year old daughter, you know, I mean, it's like, my God, you know, I don't know how, but I always, I, I remember I was always hungry, you know, I'd do yeah. six hours and have a, 
you know, a bowl of cereal and that was it, you know? And, and, uh, but, um, so if, if, if you've got, if you've trained yourself well and, and you, you're training, you know, six, eight hours, nine hours a week, um, there's a point, um, unless you can add some more volume into that, um, you're physiologically, it's really tough for you to make any more gains. Once you've already focused on your VO2 max and you've had enough time to improve that and your power at lactate threshold. Well, if we can lose 10 pounds, you know, our, our VO2 max per kg per body weight, it will go up, you know? And so, you know, I, I always like to say as a, as a standard rule, it's like who can't at over 40 afford to lose 10 pounds. Probably <laughs> the vast. Now some people, Here. Can't, you know, <laughs> but just as a, as a, as a standard rule of thumb, we probably can. So that's going to Im- help improve performance. Now, then also eating for health is, is equally, if not, you know, more important. And where I think, um, people make, can get the biggest gains is cutting out the clutter, you know, and what I call clutter is like, the things that are just bring in a lot of caloric density, um, but there's not a lot of nutrient dis- density. Yeah. So it's, you know, unfortunately it's like, you know, you said not talk about beer. Well, <laughs> you know, but right it there, is, well, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it, it's bringing in a lot of calories and there's not much, you know, nutri- nutrient density. Yeah. So, you know, reducing alcohol consumption, you know, things like, um, desserts, those sort of things that you can, are kind of the easy things to cut out, you know, um, the things like butter on the bread that just bring in a lot of, you know, a a lot of calories, you can make those things and cut that out. And you could probably drop five pounds, 10 pounds pretty quickly without, without necessarily changing your diet all that much. Cause most cyclists, you know, the, the, the message has already got gotten out, you know, you need to eat a lot of whole grains, yeah. lean protein, um, fresh fruits and vegetables. But we, we had this clutter on top of that, you know, and that's that caloric clutter of, you know, five to 10 pounds that we just, we add by, um, by, uh, you know, maybe having, you know, a couple glasses of wine at night. If you could cut that out, if you, you know, the, the dessert, the things like that, you know, the, the Starbucks stop that, you know, Frappuccino or something like that, that's, (laughs) you know, 400 calories right there. You cut that out. There's, there's five to 10 pounds that you're over the course of a, you know, a a two month period, you could probably drop. Yeah. God. Okay. Yeah. I knew I, I, I better. Sorry. Yeah. No, you, I, uh, no, I knew it was coming. So, Hey, so what, what keeps you going? You've been at this, uh, for an extended amount of time and, um, your, your passion doesn't seem to drop. What, what keeps you alive and keeps you going with all this? I just, I'm a lifer. I'm a cyclist. Um, will be in cycling for forever. I just, I'm, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world. You know, I mean, I've, I've always been able to follow my passion and somehow it's worked out. You know, I, I never in my wildest dreams felt like I would, you know, like 
what I what I did as an athlete, you know, I just feel very very fortunate and and lucky. And then what I, I did in coaching, and then as a sports administrator um, to owning my own business, I I don't know how, but it's all sort of worked out for me and I, I just feel very fortunate and I love it, you know, and, and I, I surround myself with, with people that they're all, they're all cyclists or runners or triathletes and, and, uh, the, the, the coaches that I have in my company. Um, and it's really inspiring because we transform lives. We, we take people, to do things that they never thought they would do. And, and I just feel very, um, blessed for, for having that. And I don't, I do my best to not take it for granted. And, uh, um, you know, I, I had a crash a few weeks ago and I broke my collarbone and, uh, my right collarbone. I broke my left one twice. The oh, second God. time was in this, uh, was a long, this was a long time ago when I was an athlete. Did, did you ever remember the peace race? Oh God. Yeah. Big race. Poland. Yeah. 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 Went through a Poland, Czechoslovakia at the time in, in East Germany when there was in East Germany. Well, I crashed my, uh, I crashed in the peace race and broke my collarbone for the second time, my left side. And it was in some village outside of Leipzig. And it was early in the race, and, and the U.S. team was like, look, we're going to have to leave you here. You're going to have to have surgery, but don't worry. We'll come back and get you. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay. You know, years old, like, <laughs> okay, all right, I guess so. Oh, and geez. they were so excited in this little village in East Germany that, that there was an American in there, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> they had a guy from the East secret East German police, the Stasi, you know, like <laughs> he, he would sit outside of my room, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, I remember the surgeon came in to see me the next day and I remember him coming in and he was smoking a cigarette and, <laughs> um, seeing me in the hospital and he was, you know, spoke, spoke broken English to me and, um, and they came back. I stayed in the hospital the whole time. And it was like eight days later, you know, they came back and got me. And, um, and it's funny because I had some problems with that shoulder. Um, you know, just when I was like 50 and, and they took x-rays and the orthopedic surgeon asked, he said, you know, who did the surgery and, and where was it done? <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I have no idea who did it. Um, <laughs> it was back when there was in East Germany and I crashed and this surgeon did it. And he said, I got to tell you, you know, they did a really good job. And wow. I, I, you know, I, I knew it was from a long time ago, but the, the Germans, specifically the East Germans, really pioneered a lot of orthopedics procedures. So he did a great job. Uh, for back then, I was like, wow, you know, because everybody yeah. was nervous that they were doing the surgery on me in East Germany. What was it? You know, it was like going to be like Frankenstein and everything. And, <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, I had the, the pr perhaps the best orthopedic procedure done in the world at that time right there. You know? Wow. Wow. So what? But, no, go ahead. So I broke my I, I, I broke my right collarbone just four weeks ago. I was mountain biking and 
it was early in the morning and I was coming down this trail and I, I saw this flash out of my, you know, peripheral vision. And then I was just flying through the air and a, a deer, um, hit my front wheel and oh, just kind of took me out and launched me. And I, and I, you know, crashed and broke my collarbone and, uh, on my right side. And 10 days later I had to get some surgery where they put a plate on it, very similar to my left side. Um, and I rode my bike for the first time outside yesterday. And so for that, you know, four weeks of not being able to ride, uh, you know, I just, it, it's just, it was killing me, you know, and, and like all, like all cyclists, but it, even now at 57, it's like, man, I, I just, if, if I'm not riding, I'm not happy. Yeah. Perfect. So what's next in store for, for CTS? Where are you, what do you, what do you guys have in the upcoming horizon? Well, uh, Saturday, um, November 11th, we have our first grand fundo. And, um, it's in the Santinez Valley of California, which is right close to Solvang, um, or a little slightly North of Santa Barbara. Um, and, uh, we go up Mount Figueroa, um, Figueroa in, in the central, this is sort of the central coast of California. We have a training center in, in Santinez. And, uh, it's, it's really an epic climb. There's never been an organized ride up it. So that's new on the horizon for us getting in the event business. I think you'll see okay. us continue down that track of, of more events for cycling and also ultra running as well. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, we are working with, a, a company that does DNA testing, um, uh, called Helix and, uh, we've developed some content for them where you can wow. send in, uh, your DNA, get it tested and see, um, you know, uh, based upon your DNA, um, the best, uh, protocols for training and things wow. like that. Um, so we've got that on the horizon. <laughs> um, we're looking to expand to get a European operation in place, uh, which is, will be new for us. So, you know, we're just, uh, we'll, we'll continue to stay in cycling and, and, and also, like I say, other endurance sports, but, you know, we want to try to, um, you know, all things in the ecosystem of an endurance athlete, not, okay. we're not going to get into selling equipment or nutrition products or things like that, but, you know, everything that sort of involves the, 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 the aspect of the event or the training or, or the experience for that event, um, we see is, is an area that we have domain expertise in. So if a listener wants to get started, first of all, I know they're probably going to be able to find the, you know, things through the website. Do they start to, to if they want to get involved with CTS as a client, do they start try to find somebody around their region and locally, or does the, to, to go straight to the website and that'll kind of send them off in that direction? Yeah. The best thing to do is come to our website, which is trainright.com. Um, and, uh, there's just start there. We've got a, a lot, we have a free newsletter that we do. Uh, um, we put out training information, nutritional information, 
three days a week that goes out. We have about 60,000 subscribers to that. Wow. Um, and, uh, and that's just free. Um, and, uh, but we have all the information on our coaching, on our, on our training camps, our kind of bucket list, what we call bucket endurance bucket list events as well. Drop us an email. Uh, people can email me directly too. It's pretty easy email. C Carmichael at trainwright.com. Um, and we'll get everybody going in the right direction. Right on. And, and the books, I got to say, as I said, I've had my copy of the time crunch cyclist for a long time. And, uh, I, I refer back to it always more like a reference piece. So it's, it's, it's probably a pretty good way to get a sample of what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the starting point for most of us is, is, uh, our books. We're also looking to develop, uh, more of a, in between uh, a coaching product that's in between our current coaching products and our books. Um, uh-huh. and we're, we're early stage on that. Um, so I, I, we don't even have it totally that, that scoped out that product yet, but we're working on it. All right. Well, cool. Well, Chris, um, First of all, I wanted to thank you for your time. Um, I, you know, you and I kind of went back and forth a little trying to make this all happen in terms of schedule, but I'm really glad it happened. As a guy who, as a kid who grew up in the '80s, watching you and all the guys race on 7-Eleven, um, it it formed me as a cyclist. So it was a really great, a great chance to get to catch up with you and kind of find out your perspective. I appreciate it. Hey, Pat, I, I got to tell you. I listened to some of your podcasts, and I'm going to listen to many more. <laughs> I really appreciate the um, the breath in which you your uh, your guests from you know George Mount to Sean Kelly, you know Phil Anderson, those were all heroes of mine. I raced with those guys, and that that's really cool. And I was like, wow, I gotta I gotta. I got to listen to all these podcasts. I kept seeing different ones. I was like, that's great. You just don't see that out there. And it's like, that's super cool. So uh, congratulations on, on your business. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate your time. Okay. You take care. So there you are, one of the pioneers in American coaching, or modern American coaching, I guess I could say. Great talk I was able to have with Chris Carmichael. This show, I forgot to mention at the onset, once again brought to you by our friends at Noon Hydration. Big thanks to Noon for being a part of the show for this past year. We're gonna we're hopefully trying to renew things with them, and we'll see what happens with Noon Hydration. In the meantime, you guys get on over to packfiller.com. Uh, download the shows, click on the links, all those sort of things. Or if you're an iTunes person, give us a rating, throw us a rating, tell us what you think of the podcast. And, uh, don't forget to, don't don't forget to hesitate the hell. Don't hesitate to, uh, talk to us and let us know what kind of things you think about the show. What kind of ghost, ghost guests, Jesus, Pat, it's too late at night. You guys, what kind of guests you think would be good on the show in the future? And uh, we will keep bringing them to you. The, the live shows have been a great feedback and has, of course, this is the time of year to be able to catch up with cyclists who are not so busy as they might be in the season. And we'll try to get more to you. And if you got any ideas, throw them our direction. Other than that, we'll talk to you next time. To be able to catch up with cyclists who are not so busy as they might be in the season. And we'll try to get more to you. And if you got any ideas, throw them our direction. Other than that, Talk to you next time. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.